This is The Recap, a weekly reflection of the sermons of Fellowship Baptist Church in Mainville, Ohio, seeking to help you make Jesus essential in every aspect of your life, every day. I'm your host this week, Ryan Land, and I'm here with the preacher of this week's sermon. Brent Wilson. Brent, here we are, week number two. Week two, we've made it. Yeah, we, we've, we're officially a podcast now. Um, for, <laughs> that's, all, that's all it takes. Uh, I think first off, it's like, thanks for all the great feedback. We've gotten a lot of people telling us that they've listened and they found the show helpful. And so uh, we are really thankful for that. Yep. And just like big shout out to everyone listening. And so uh, we're excited. We're, we're hoping that it's helpful. And so it's, it's always encouraging to hear. Yeah, I was surprised about how many people came up to me and just said, hey, we listened to the podcast and really loved it. And I really appreciated it. And um, I don't know what I was expecting from people, but I was really encouraged and pleased by how many people uh, just brought it up to me. Yeah. So this week we are talking about uh, our sermon from Sunday, Encountering a Rich Man. Uh, this is an Encountering the Messiah series, and we were in Matthew 19. And we're going to talk about the rich young ruler. And one thing I, you know, I was sitting there taking notes, listening to, to Brent, and I thought one thing that's helpful, I think, to talk about after the story is, like, you know, Matthew has given us this story for a reason. And so... I don't think the reason is to look at this this rich young guy and think, yeah, this idiot, you know. <laughs> so uh, one of the one of the most help, one of the more helpful things I think we could do is say, hey, what are some of the main characteristics of this guy of this rich young ruler, and how can we uh, avoid and uh, evaluate if we are behaving or thinking or feeling or acting out of these similar ways, and so. Uh, what we're going to do first before we we get to your questions is we're going to go through each point of the sermon. There were four kind of main points and um, and take a characteristic from those, evaluate them in kind of our own lives or think about how you could evaluate them in your life. And so uh, and, and really just kind of evaluate and ask the question, how can we avoid being like the rich young ruler who walks away sad and, and disappointed by Jesus? Yeah. So, uh, Brent, your first point was. Uh, the rich young ruler, he walks away from Jesus because he encountered uh, the real Jesus. So what kind of characteristic would you kind of knock that down or notch that down to? And and how do we evaluate ourselves on that? And how do we avoid that? Yeah. So the rich young ruler is making assumptions about who Jesus is, what Jesus is going to ask of him, demand of him, what thing he needs to add to his life. And so he, he has these things in his mind when he comes to Jesus. Uh, and so when Jesus actually asks him to sell everything, he's blown away. He's caught off guard because this was never, you know, something that he was thinking was going to happen. This wasn't on the table for him. So he's making these assumptions about Jesus. And, and you know, I think we uh, can do the same thing. I have to be really careful. Um, I think a lot of times we can make uh, assumptions. And sometimes maybe it's from, you know, television shows or movies or, um, man, just different parts of our upbringing that we have these ideas about Jesus, or we just kind of make them up in our own mind. So we have these ideas about Jesus, what he would ask of us, what he wants of us, what he's like, what he thinks. And we bring those into our own life and our own walk with him. And those assumptions aren't based on the scriptures. They're not based on anything in the Bible. They're just based on, on something in us, you know, something we brought out in us. It reminds me of Talladega nights, right? Uh, (laughs) uh, You know, I like to picture my Jesus, uh, 
uh, tuxedo t-shirt. Tux, yeah, because he, he's, he's, ca- he's casual. Casual, but he likes to party. Yeah, or formal. I'm he's, formal. He's formal. But I'm here to party, right, yeah. Or yeah. like, the, you know, they're arguing about how much he weighed. It's like, I like the six pound, eight yeah. ounce. Well, I like baby, baby Jesus the best. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And no, so, yeah, it's... it's the, it's a funny scene. But yeah, yeah. Like, I think, I think a, it rings true. Yeah, yeah. Because we bring baggage to who Jesus is. And so we've made up a Jesus in our own mind. And so sometimes when we do that, when we hear things like the rich man heard, Jesus asks something of us, whether that's we need to do something, we need to give something up, we need to change what we believe about something. It can rock our world and rock our faith mm-hmm. because we're like, we didn't see it coming. We're like, who is this Jesus that would ask or demand this of me? And it's like, it rocked us because we made up a Jesus in our own image or, or, or the way we liked him to be. And it wasn't the real one of the Bible. And so I think we've got to be careful to make sure we are believing in the Jesus of the Bible, that God is revealed to us, that history is revealed to us, and not one that we just uh, want to be true. Yeah. And I think, you know, one thing I, you, you mentioned like your upbringing. And I think one thing that is really dangerous to, sort of everyone, every American Christian certainly is like, we all, because of the culture we were brought up in, have an idea of who Jesus is. But a lot of the time that idea is actually not based in scripture. Whereas like in a, in a culture that doesn't have access to the gospel, really, and it's coming in for the first time, the only access they have to who Jesus is, um, is the Bible. And so we're actually at more of a disadvantage, I think, than we, we sometimes let ourselves believe Mm. Because we're like, oh, yeah, I've been hearing stories about Jesus and I've been hearing people talk about Jesus my whole life. Yeah, you know, you kind of think about it like you're inoculated to Jesus. Yeah. Oh, you, yeah. You've been, uh, you know, inoculation is, you know, when I don't, I don't know exactly the medical idea, but you're, you're given part of the flu virus, the dead flu virus, so that you can't get the flu. And so you have some of the flu virus in you. And so you can't get the real thing. So you have so much of, of Jesus, quote unquote, uh, in your mind. But it's from so many different sources, so many different perspectives that when you encounter the real one, it's like, huh, I don't know about this. Yeah, which is what is exactly what happens to the rich young ruler, right? Like yeah. he obviously knew who Jesus was and he, he's, he didn't just walk up to yeah. some random he, dude. He's heard a lot about him, right? Jesus is making yeah. a name for himself. It's like this dude's healing people. This dude's uh, loving, loving the poor. He's, you know, he's, a, he's a, a, a messiah of love or whatever, right? Um, and shows up and he's like blown away by the real one. Yeah. Yeah. He can't even, he's, he wants to buy in more to the idea of the, the stories he's heard about Jesus from other people than the actual guy. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was the first point he walks away because he's encountered the real Jesus. Like we said, he makes assumptions about Jesus, but then your, your second point was he walks away because Jesus smashed his religious views. So how can we avoid veering or drifting into this, this error? Yeah. I think this is a particular problem for people who've grown up in the church typically, not not exclusively, um, but really for anyone who is, is coming to Jesus thinking they're a good person, right? Or or even following Jesus, right? A saved person who uh, thinks, uh, is looking to themselves and their own moral goodness, their own moral uprightness. Uh, this guy's problem is that he he cannot see his own his own, uh, you know, baggage of, of guilt and shame. Yeah. He can't see his own failures. Uh, you know, Jesus, he, he asked the question, what, what, what do I got to do to go to heaven and inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus says, keep the commands. And, and his immediate response is, well, this is great news, right? Yeah. I've done this, you know? <laughs> or he, say, he says, which ones? And Jesus starts listing them off. He's like, done, check, got that. Check mark, check mark. Check, got it all. Um, 
And so like that response is, is wrong. Uh, you know, our response to that should be, oh no. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, if the, if the question was, how do you get to heaven? You have to keep the 10 commandments. Then our response shouldn't be, well, okay, we can do that. That's doable. Mm-hmm. Our response should be, uh, there's no hope. I, yeah. I, I, I got nothing. Yeah. Uh, and so I think it just exposes the heart of a, here's a religious term, a Pharisee, right? Mm-hmm. Someone who thinks that they can keep the law. So it exposes the heart of somebody who is looking to themselves and their own moral goodness. And so it exposes that, uh, that issue. Yeah, for sure. I think, I mean, like you said, like we are the ones particularly who, who can fall into this trap of thinking like, I, yeah, I got this. It, it reminded me of, uh, this, this point reminded me of the story uh, of, you know, the Pharisee and the tax collector going to pray at the temple. Oh, yeah. And the Pharisee, you know, he, he goes in and very loudly prays like, um, thank God I'm not like the the the, fair, or the, the, the tax collectors and, and the prostitutes, right? And he's saying, man, I'm, I'm so thankful I'm not as bad as all those people over right, there. Right. And so he, the rich young ruler here, I think, has a similar attitude. It's like, I think he probably realizes like he probably knows that he hasn't kept all the commandments perfectly, but I think r- the root of that issue is thinking, I may not have done it perfectly, but I've certainly done it a lot better than other people. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so, like that comparison, when it's like, r- really, you're both so far off the mark, it's it's not even worth mm-hmm. comparing. Yeah, yeah. So and uh, so he's got this assumption about Jesus. He's got this kind of self righteousness, moral superiority going on, and then he walks away. Uh, point three, he walks away because Jesus gets personal with mm-hmm. him. And so, so w- what would you say about, about that? Yeah. You know, this is something that came up in my, uh, my D group two weeks ago in our first week back. Um, someone brought up, Hey guys, you know, it is really easy for us to talk about these things, um, and how they might apply to Christians at large or how they might apply to other people. Um, uh, but I want us to be really careful and make sure we're applying these to ourselves, um, and looking inward and, and whatnot. And sometimes when you hear a sermon, you can you can hear something go, oh, that was good, right? Oh, that's good truth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But your immediate thought is, I know who needs to hear this. <laughs> Yo, for sure. My immediate thought is, is I want to send this sermon to so-and-so because they need to hear this. Mm-hmm. And and that may be true, right? Like right. there's someone may need to hear it. That may be, may be right. But do you need to hear it? Mm-hmm. Is there is there a truth in there that definitely that you need to hear? And so sometimes we can keep our truth so up in the cloud, so academic, that we're not letting it get past um, this the walls of our own heart. And we need to let those walls down and say, hey, before I share this with someone else, let me do some real inventory in my own life and see see how this truth may. I need to change. I need to repent. I need to uh, fix something about me. And so. Uh, you know, getting personal just means like, let me investigate my own life first. Yeah. I think it is, I think it's, it's connected right to the the previous point, right? It's like, he's so, he's so self-righteous. He can't see, you know, that he's actually failed in all these places, but also he refuses to evaluate himself and to, so he can never, he can never see those gaps. Right. 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 Um, and so it also it also just made me think of uh, I had to, I had to pull it up here, First uh, John right where he talks about he's talking about God as being light and saying if that if we walk in the light as He is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin that and this idea of that walking in the light is this is this exposure it's this this mm-hmm. vulnerability mm-hmm. right you're and seen 
Yeah, yeah. And so even the 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 ugly parts, the sinful parts are are shown. Right. And uh this guy was unwilling, the rich young ruler was unwilling to admit that there was any any sinful, ugly failure bone in his body. There was right. not one microbe of his entire existence that wasn't uh disobedient. Right. And so uh I think like for us to have fellowship with one another and to have fellowship with God, to be united with mm. Jesus, we have to be able yeah, yeah. to have be vulnerable. Not I mean one with I mean before God, obviously, right? Yeah, before yeah, Jesus, yeah. but also to each other, right? To have fellowship with one another, we have to be able to expose our sin to one another. Yeah. Well, and here's 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 another thought. So like, if this starts with you, so step one is just how do I need to wrestle with this truth and change or whatever. But the next part is you know, so Jesus is getting personal and that he is saying, no, I'm not just talking to the crowds. I'm not I'm yeah. not just talking to everybody. Oh, I'm not yeah. trying to make a point. Uh, Mark, you know, the gospel of Mark says, and Jesus looked at him and loved him, and then he's saying these things, and so he is speaking the truth in love mm. and. And, and, you know, after we get past ourselves and how we need to change, then and only then do we go to someone else. And it is loving to get personal and yeah. to expose truth. You know, that's something our culture right now has a really hard time with where, you know, to to tell someone they need to change or their lifestyle is wrong or the, what they believe is wrong, what they think mm-hmm. is wrong is seen as so offensive and, and, and whatnot. But it's the most loving thing we can do sometimes, every time, to point out truth in a loving, kind, gentle way because there may be something in someone's life that's destroying them a sin that's destroying them something that's a belief a, a worldview and it's the loving thing to do to point it out yeah i i think two two really important things about this text that you mentioned in your sermon and right here is like one this isn't like general teaching and wisdom for everybody right i think it's easy to read this text and then fall into sort of a poverty gospel sort of like well i have to live you know a, like with zero money, right? I have to live. Oh with, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He's not calling everyone to sell everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, what he's actually doing is is getting to this guy, this rule, rich young ruler, personally, right? He's saying this yeah. is your personal. This struggle. is your issue. This isn't everybody's yeah. issue. And so it's your helpful. Issue. It's helpful to think that about that Jesus didn't just, you know, speak broadly about you know whatever issue, right? But no, he was speaking specifically to people. And the other, the other thing I think you said, like that was so helpful was, was about, you know, ex- like what you just said, exposing truth. And Jesus doesn't do it as a test. Jesus isn't doing it to be like, we'll see if you're worthy of being my disciple, but he does it in love to say, Hey, this is actually killing you. This is this, this sin, this yeah. idol of money is actually making your life worse. Right. And so he's, he's saying it for his good. The rich young ruler's good. Right. Not just as like a I'm going to show this guy that he's not good enough to be my disciple or whatever. It's like, no, Jesus is like saying, Hey, it is better for you. Your life would actually be better if you went and sold everything hmm. because this idol would be out of your way. And we're going to get into that yeah. more later. In, and, in, in our culture and, and maybe not even our culture, just human nature always seems to, you know, repel against that, put yeah. our walls up and say, well, who are you to tell me <laughs> how I should live or what my problem is or whatever? And it's like, well, I'm the person who's loving you. And I'm yeah. the person, you know, oftentimes when we have issues, it's hard to see, right? It's mm-hmm. hard to see what's going on in my own heart. But when someone who loves you outside of you says, hey, you may not see this thing, but let me expose this for you. We need to try our best to receive that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny in, in this story, particularly, it's like, because I think that that is a natural reaction to be like, hey, who are you to yeah. 
to say this. And it's like, she's like, I'm God. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I think, I think like human to human, that's maybe a little bit more warranted. But when it's like Jesus calling out your sin and you're like, yeah, who are you to say that? It's like (laughs) the the, the guy who made you in all the rules. And who can read your thoughts and heart. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Okay. So he, he has this assumption about Jesus. He's got this moral superiority. He's, he's closed off. He refuses to see his own sin uh, or admit his own fault. And then he, lastly, he walks away because he didn't value treasure in heaven. What, what did you mean by that? How can we avoid that? Yeah, so he thinks the things right in front of him, the things he can touch, smell, see, taste, things that give him worldly pleasures, happiness right here in the moment are are more valuable to him than eternity and what he can have both in Jesus. Like there's kind of two thoughts here for me. Like one, Jesus himself is the treasure. Like mm-hmm. he is the end and of itself. Mm-hmm. Like getting God is the treasure. Yeah, like the like the parable you mentioned, the 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 treasure in the field. In the field. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, in one sense, he is the treasure. But in a, in another sense, uh, the kingdom at large is also a treasure because mm-hmm. in the future, when we're living in the kingdom of God, it's not like you know, I don't think we're just going to be hand in hand with Jesus every day and running around frolicking playing our harps in our yeah yeah it's like no we're going into a world this is a whole book but we're going into a world where everything is set right and Mm -hmm. we're going to live in community with everyone and but under the domain and rule of jesus and Mm -hmm. um but but so so i think there's also treasure there to live in this perfect paradise yeah but also jesus is treasure so i think kind of kind of both and there um, and so he's not valuing the world to come. He's valuing this world over the world to come, which is obviously problematic. And it takes the short view, short-term mm-hmm. view. Um, but the, I had another thought about this that I think is, is kind of helpful. Uh, I talked to him in the sermon about how Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And Jesus plus yeah. something equals nothing, right? So if you have Jesus and nothing else, and put, then you get everything thrown in. If you, if you like put stuff on your mirror or on your phone background or something, that's a good... That's a good that's one. That's a good little thing. It's a good to, math. Even if you don't like math, it's a good math problem. Yeah, yeah, it's a good math right there. That's some math I can do right there. That's right. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And, I, <laughs> and so another way to think about this is um, uh, some people are going to be familiar with the old hymn. Uh, I don't even know the title is, but the, but the, the line says, and turn, the your things, eyes. turn your turn eyes. Your eyes turn your eyes. Uh, and the things of earth grow strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. And there's certainly truth to that. I'm not trying to undermine that song. It's a great song. And there's truth to that, that. When you know Jesus, the things of earth pale in comparison to knowing him. But I think you can also flip that truth on its head and say the opposite is also true, that the things of earth grow strangely bright in light of his glory and grace. In that, when you know Jesus and he's all you need, then everything else in the world is now brighter because you see him as the creator of it, mm-hmm. the giver of it. Yeah. And so marriage is richer for having Jesus. Having children yeah. is richer for having Jesus. Having chocolate ice cream that I have right here beside me is richer Mm-hmm. For having Jesus as the giver of a, such a sweet gift, and so literally sweet, literally, yeah, yeah. And so he doesn't value um, what Jesus is ultimately going to bring, and therefore everything is actually more dull. Mm-hmm. It's like Jesus is offering the world in color, and he wants to keep it in black and white, yeah, um, because he can't he can't imagine what a world in color would be. Well, that is anything else to add about sort of those four characteristics? Give give you a quick recap of them. You know, so he he made assumptions about Jesus. He had a moral superiority, you know, saying, I, I, I keep all the commandments. He was closed off, couldn't admit his, his own sin. And then he was worldly. He was focusing on the, uh, focusing on the, the permanence of the things of this world. Here's the last thing I'll add about this last point. Um, C.S. Lewis brings us out in The Great Divorce. 
basically the idea that we think of heaven as this ethereal place mm-hmm. that is um, ghostly, right, spiritual. And and so therefore we think of earth as really solid and really important and really real. It's just like Kenny Judge said, we all want to go to heaven, but we think earth is a little better. But, <laughs> but when we get to heaven, what we're going to realize is that earth was the ethereal spiritual plane mm-hmm. and heaven is more real. That is to say, heaven is going to be much more enjoyable than earth. Mm-hmm. Um but we're so we're so like temporal, I don't know, yeah. beings that we can't see that right now. I, and I think it's it's hard to think about like conceptualize something that's more real. But I th- I think that one that's helpful for for me to think about is like anytime you have a moment of of happiness, hmm. right? There's always this sort of twinge of like, oh, but but it's gonna be over. I want to bottle right? that feeling up and have yeah, it yeah. It's like it's like there's nothing more exciting in youth ministry than getting to camp. Yeah. Right. Like getting to camp is the most exciting thing. But then you stop for one second at camp and you think, I'm going to go back home in two days mm-hmm. and tomorrow or whatever. And it's like, there's always this sort of twinge of, of this tint of, of sadness of, of it's going to be over. Mm. And to think of heaven as something more real, it's like, you're going to have that feeling and it's never going to, to go away. Without end, yeah. Like, and you don't have to, you're never going to fear that it's going away. You're actually going to feel what real happiness. And the feeling that we're having here about it is probably, you know, a fraction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's like, it's not going to be muddled by these negative things. Right. It's like, because our happiness here is actually less real than the, than the happiness we're going to have yeah. in the new kingdom. Yeah. Uh, so... I think I think that's how you know Lewis has conceptualized it. At these these people are like ghosts, that, right. you know, and it's like, but the solid place is heaven, and so it's like it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around. And so I think I think it's helpful when we think about something. So if you haven't read The Great Divorce, maybe read, you just go oh yeah, it. there will be a there will be an Amazon link in the in the show notes. Uh, it's amazing, and all my high school lead students will agree with you that it's amazing. They will not. Some of them did not like it, uh, but you will. I promise. All right. Q and A. Uh, yeah, Q and A. So uh, we just got a handful of questions. So we're gonna uh, go through these now. This first one was, uh, it's, it's. I think it's connected to the text you preached on. It comes right after it. Uh, so this person asked, "What does Jesus mean in Matthew nineteen twenty three through twenty six? Should we be worried about entering the kingdom uh, since we're so wealthy compared to the rest of the world?" So can it? Can you remind people what Matthew yeah, twenty three twenty six? So basically, says? in that last section, uh, Jesus tells his disciples it's easier. For a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go to heaven. And the disciples are like, wow, so who, who, who could be saved um, kind of questions. And, um, and, and no, I don't think it is, is our wealth as a nation that is keeping us out of heaven. Like you said earlier, Jesus is getting personal with this guy. For this guy, it's his wealth um, that is um, his false savior, his idol that's in the way of him receiving Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and certainly there are other people, uh, wealth might be an easier, I don't even know if that's true. I think wealth has always been a, a thing. Maybe it affects more people now because more people are wealthy in the mm-hmm. world than ever before. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't act, but actually you don't have to be wealthy to have this problem. You can be very poor and, and think money is going to solve all your problems. Yeah. Right. If yeah. you're, if you're a homeless man on the street, your idol could still be money because you think if I only had money, then I'll be happy because I mm-hmm. could have a house and whatever. Mm-hmm. And so it can actually affect anyone. And so really the idea is uh, uh, we all have false saviors that are in the way and we have to remove them uh, to, to receive the real savior. Um, so, yeah. And he also doesn't, doesn't he also say something like, you know, it's, it's, it's easier for the camel to get through the, the eye of a needle 
But then, you know, there's some questioning by the disciples. And, and Jesus essentially says, like, but nothing, yes, nothing's, like, nothing's impossible. impossible this is with impossible God. with man. It's impossible with God. And so he's saying, like, it's actually like this, even though it's this hard, God is the only one that can make it happen, right? Yeah, yeah. God is the only one that can actually lead someone with all these idols, i.e. all of us, mm-hmm. to salvation. Yeah, and it's really, it's like when when you look at something, whether it's money or something else, thinking, oh, this thing is shiny and beautiful and, mm-hmm. and radiant. It's going to save my life. Uh, Jesus is appearing to us as more magnificent, more mm-hmm. radiant, more beautiful, more glorious. And so, and when, when we see him that way, by his grace, we're like, oh, well, I want to throw down the trinket of my riches for this greater thing. Yeah. Uh, so we got another question about uh, obedience that the rich young ruler was looking for this one thing he could do or something he could learn or whatever to to follow Jesus, but obviously he didn't have the right thing. So the the person writes in, they ask, what role does obedience play in the life of a believer? And I think getting to the point, is obedience the the thing or the, the path to salvation? Yeah, so... Um... Uh, and I might be answering two questions with one here, but so I think we can kind of take these together, right? So uh, if you could obey all of the commands in scripture, would you go to heaven? Uh, and the answer is actually no. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Be, one, probably because you don't obey them from the right uh, like heart posture. But even if you Even if you could. With all the right motivation. Yeah, if you had all yeah. the right motivation and everything. Um, the reason you wouldn't go to heaven is because your guilt is actually an Adam, right? So the Bible talks about this idea that Adam was our representative head uh, in the Garden of Eden. And when he falls in sin, the whole world falls with him. And so, which is where we get our sin nature and everything. But mm-hmm. we're also guilty in him. Um, and sometimes we might look at that and go, oh, well, that's not fair. That's not fair. Mm-hmm. But but the opposite is also true. <laughs> yeah. In Christ's, Christ's obedience and his righteousness, we are now, those who are in him, are found righteous before God. Not because we acted righteously, but because Jesus did on our behalf. He was our second federal head mm-hmm. representing us. And so so we're guilty in Adam. And so none of our obedience merits in us anything yeah. before God. So like just brief like theological like aside here. That's why kind of two two things. One, it's super important. I think I think it's critical for Christians to believe in a historical Adam. Oh, good point. Right? Because like if there's not a historical Adam, where does our sin nature come from? Oh, yeah. Uh, and then I also think this is why it's super important to hold to the virgin birth, right? Because the reason oh, yeah. J- Jesus had to be uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit was because he is not marked by the sin uh, of humanity, yeah, the, yeah. the sin of Adam. Yeah, so sin passes through your father and he doesn't yeah. have one. So, so just two, two theological yeah. sidelines, super important to make sense of this thing. We got to believe yeah. historical Adam. We got to believe in the virgin, yep. Yep. the virgin birth. Yeah. Okay. So then back to the original question, um, what role does obedience play in the life of a believer? Well, it's obviously not playing the role of salvation, right? Because, mm-hmm. because nothing I could do, no amount of obedience could ever save me. And so, um, but obedience is important, right? The rich young ruler comes looking for, hey, what's the one thing I got to do, right? And that's the wrong approach because what we need to do is receive grace, receive mercy, receive forgiveness and God's love and salvation. And then our obedience is out of response to that grace and mercy and love that gets given to us by God. And so I've heard it said like this, and I think this can be helpful. Our obedience is not out of duty, but out of delight. It's mm. not, oh, I've yeah. got to do these things to get God to love me or make sure he stays happy with me. So I'm going to obey God to keep him on my side. 
Rather, we are saying, no, I'm going to obey God because he's loved me and saved me and forgiven me again and again and again. And I love him. And so I want to obey because it is of my heart's greatest delight to please the father who has loved me so. Uh, and I think it's like this, you know, we just had Valentine's Day. And if oh, you, really? <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. I remembered, but I just, I just thought it'd be a funny bit. Uh, so if you, uh, you know, you show up uh, after work one day and a husband uh, brings flowers to his wife and says, hey, honey, I'm home and hands him some flowers. She goes, oh, thank you, sweetie. These are so great. She goes, well, yeah, it's Valentine's Day. I had to. <laughs> right? She's going to throw them back in your face and kick you out and say, try again. Um, because if you're doing that out of duty, out of because you have to, because it's Valentine's Day, it's she's not going to care. It's not going to mean anything to her. But if you are coming home and saying, um, you know, whether it's, maybe it's not even Valentine's Day, honey, I just saw these flowers and thought they were so beautiful. I thought of you. you and I know you love flowers. And I know you have flowers. And so yeah. I wanted to do this for you. It's out of the I delight. wanted to please you. I wanted yeah. to please you, right? So I'm, I love you. And out of mm -hmm. my love for you and out of your love for me, I want to do this. And so it's a mm -hmm. delight to do it. That's the way we obey the Lord. We, we, yeah. it's, you know, we talk about this every Sunday when we talk about giving. Right? We don't give to God. We don't give our money to the church or to the work of, of God because he needs our money or because we think in giving our money, he's going to give us more in return. Rather, we give because, man, he's given us everything. And what is my money but just a, a tool in the hand of God that he can use to, to multiply in other people's lives. And so we give out of gratitude and out of thanksgiving uh, for what he's done for us, not to get something in return. For sure. I think just one thing I'd, I'd add to that is that, um, you know, using the illustration, it's better for the husband to get the wife flowers out of duty than to not do it at all. And so I think sometimes we can say like, oh, I don't feel like obeying. Oh, yeah. I don't feel, I don't feel the delight of, of obeying mm -hmm. God's commands. And it's like, we have to trust that, the, that our feelings are going to catch up with our, our, our hearts are going to catch up with our heads. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. And so no, it's like, right. and so it's like, we don't always feel like obeying. That's right. But we do it because we, we know God loves us. We know God's demanded this of us. We know it's, it's best for our lives. And, and our, our, we trust that our feelings are going to catch up. Yeah. yeah. No, and I so think that's really it's, good. It's not, it's not an excuse not to do the thing. It's yeah, like, yeah. I don't really feel like it. Oh yeah. I don't, yeah like that's, that's a no, teen, that's, that's a teenager saying, um, you know, we talked about this actually in my Ephesians study the other night. Um, the, the, the posture, what role does our like physical posture play in our worship? And we were talking about how um, uh, when we pray or when we worship, sometimes maybe we're not feeling like praying or feeling like worship, but putting our hands out in a, in a palms up posture with our eyes, you know, you don't have to pray with your eyes closed, but to close your eyes, bow your head, to put your hands up is to say, I'm open. I want to receive from you, God. I'm open, you know, I'm not closed off to you. And sometimes we don't feel like it, but that posture helps align our hearts. And so we want to just do it and let our hearts catch up. Sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, I know I should be generous and give, but I don't want to. But we need to just do it and let our hearts catch up to that. You're, yeah. I think you're right about that. Um, so last question. Uh, th this person writes in and said, what's the point of always killing our idols if we're always going to have them? And so this idea of like, you know, our hearts are idol factories. Yeah, that's yeah. what Tim Keller says. And and so it's like, I kill one idol, another one's just going to take its place. Yeah. So why not just make do with the first one? Uh, you know, wh so why should I constantly be on this, like the struggle of killing idols? Yeah. Two reasons. One, the Bible commands us to. <laughs> and, and so we should just do it. <laughs> Good night, folks. <laughs> uh, and then two, because God has designed the world to function in a certain way. And when we are sinning or when we have idols, it's not that we're just breaking God's rules or doing something we're not supposed to do. It's that we're actually, uh, they're actually destroying us and 
so to get the negative side and the positive side. So on the one side, they're actually destroying our life. They're eating away at us. And on the other hand, we're not enjoying the world in the way God intended us to. And so we're actually having less joy. And so the reason you should be killing your idols and your sin is because it's destroying your life. And God wants you to have greater joy in this other thing. And so um, you've got an idol of, of, uh, uh, of money. That means one... If it's eating away at you, it's causing you to treat people poorly, it's trying to cause you to overwork or whatever. Uh, and so you should kill the idol so it doesn't destroy your life that way, but also so that you can actually leverage your money and use it both for kingdom purposes, but also when you go use your money to buy something, you can enjoy the thing you're buying and because you don't feel like it's fulfilling you. Um, it's serving a purpose. It's just serving. It's a means to an end. Um, and you can you can enjoy it under as God is the giver of that thing to you. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that's great. I, I, I think, you know, there's this kind of general wisdom side that's like, it's hurting you. God wants you to kill it because he wants your best. But then there is this other side that's like, your life will actually be more fulfilling. You'll flourish more uh, when you see God as the ultimate uh, direction of all your love, of all your worship, of all your purpose. Uh, and, and you'll stop looking to it, looking for it in other things. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's actually more helpful to you. The work of of killing idols, actually, and it can, and, and ultimately just conforms you, or, uh, you know, yeah, conforms you into the shape of Jesus, right? The, yeah. the image of Jesus, yeah. and and you're continually being sanctified through that. And so, uh, Brent, and that's all our questions. You got any final thoughts for the week? Yeah, let me let me let me throw this one thought out here. I was thinking about um, as, we're, as we're talking about money and thinking about money, um, and sometimes we can think. I don't know if you think this or not, but like that God wants our money or needs our money. I said this kind of in the sermon, and I think it's really hit home just in my own heart. Often, the you know, reason God, Jesus talks about money maybe sometimes, or God, we, we talk about at church, is that God doesn't need our money, but sometimes he has to go through our wallet to get to our hearts um, because it's in, it's in the way. Or he has to go through whatever other idol, right, because it's in the way. Um, and I was thinking about the widow's might in this, right? So God has to go through our wallet to get to our hearts. I think this widow shows up and Jesus is watching people give money in the temple. And, uh, this widow comes and she gives like two pennies, two mites. And, um, that's all she had. And, and Jesus says she gave more than everyone else. Did, did she cover the processing fee, the 39 cents? I don't think so. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. Um, uh, and so she, Jesus says she gives more than everyone else. Um, and there's a line from a Getty song. And I think we sing it at church sometimes, but there's this line that says, it's not what you give, but what you keep that the king is counting. Uh, and that always is just super Ooh. convicting to me, right? Because yeah, that's good. you could be, uh, you know, Bill Gates, who's got a trillion dollars or whatever, um, and write a write a million dollar check to somebody. That's nothing. Yeah. He's not giving, like, it seems like a lot of money to us. Yeah. He's not giving anything. Um, For sure. But when, when somebody comes and, and, you know, they make $10,000 a year and they go write a hundred dollar check. That's a lot. It's a lot of money, right? Yeah. And so uh, it's proving that that guy's money uh, idol isn't, or his money isn't idol. Mm-hmm. His idol is not money. Yeah. Um, and so, like, it's not how much we're giving. Mm-hmm. Um, it's what we're keeping for ourselves that expose yeah. what we really value. And, and I think it's really, uh, the, the thing that we're more guilty of, I think, for, with that is our time. Ooh. Right? Yeah. Like, like, we think I go on Sunday and Wednesday. That's a lot of my time. But then, you know, you, you just, I would challenge everyone to do this, you know, like map, you know, map out how much time you spend doing a certain task throughout a week, right? Mm. Sleeping, reading, watching Netflix, 
working out, whatever it may be. Sports. Sports, yeah, like wh- whatever it is. And and how much of your time are you keeping for yourself? Mm. And 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 not and I'm not even saying like, hey, you gotta be at church. But I'm saying, what of what of the of those hours of every day of every week are you giving to the Lord? Are you are, are you investing in, in uh, the future? Yeah, not just like your retirement, but like your yeah, spiritual yeah. future, your kids' spiritual yeah. future, your eternity. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's like you know we talk about all our resources, relationships, time, possessions, and money, and so mm. I think we got to run that. You know what we keep mm. uh, is is you know. Through the, all those filters, our possessions, yeah, our money, money, our time, yeah. our relationships. Hmm. Um, well, all right. You got anything, any any final words other than that? Yeah. There's an there's a, uh, old theologian I like to quote a lot. Um, he says, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of of the whole existence over which Christ, the Lord, who is sovereign over all, does not cry out mine. Do you, do you want to know what I just learned about him? Abraham Kuyper? Yeah. He was not only a theologian. He was the prime minister of the Netherlands. Really? Yep. I had no idea. Yeah. So Abraham Kuyper. Prime Minister Kuiper. Theologian. Theologian, Prime Minister extraordinary. But so he says, there's not a square inch in all of creation mm-hmm. that Jesus doesn't cry out mine. And I think that's not just over like the ground. That's over your life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so there's not a, an area in your life. This is what we mean by making Jesus essential in your hearts, lives, and homes. Every area of your life, whether it's your finances, your children, your marriage, your work, your hobbies, uh, whatever. It's all, it's all Jesus. It all belongs to him. Yeah. And so are we making him essential? That is absolutely necessary in how we think and live and work and do in every area of our life. Or do we say, mm, these things belong to Jesus. These sacred things belong to Jesus. But then these secular things over here, he doesn't really care about them. Mm-hmm. It's a false dichotomy. He cares about yeah. all of them. They're all his. There's no, there's no sacred secular distinction. Right. Yeah. He's Lord and sovereign over all. And so we've got to bring everything to him. And anything we're holding back for ourselves is a problem. And I think he would say to us, just like the rich young ruler, go get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Get rid of it because it is in the way of you getting me. Yeah, I think that's the big point of the text. Yep. Get rid of anything that is in the way of you having all of me. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a great place to end. Thanks for joining us for the recap. We hope this conversation's encouraged you to keep striving to make Jesus essential in every aspect and every day of your life. Uh, if you aren't part of our church family, we'd love to meet you on a Sunday morning. We gather for worship at 10.30 a.m. in Mainville. And uh, for more information, you can go to myfellowship.church. If you want to get in contact with us, uh, you can email us at staff at myfellowship.church, or you can fill out a question uh, on our church app under the tab This Week's Sermon. So next week, we'll continue to discuss our Encountering the Messiah series, and we hope you'll join us then. Be blessed.